Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. Very grateful you can join us today. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we're so glad you're here. And we will start this morning with our morning prayer. I'm reading from Science and Health today, pages 31 and 295. Jesus acknowledged no ties of the flesh. He said, call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Again, he asked, who is my mother and who are my brethren? Implying that it is they who do the will of his father. We have no record of his calling any man by the name of father. He recognized spirit, God, as the only creator and therefore is the father of all. God creates and governs the universe, including man. The universe is filled with spiritual ideas, which he evolved, and they are obedient to the mind that makes them. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yeah, watching point. Watch number 146. Watch lest you permit your conception of healing and thus give your patients that which might be called a pool of Bethesda healing. See John 5, 1 through 5. The fact that the angel came down and troubled the pool at certain times sounds as if the healing was brought about by a change of belief only. The angel was limited to coming at certain times for a specific purpose which was the healing of disease. A limited conception of healing in Christian science gives the patient only one strand of the robe of divine mind, thus narrowing the action of divine mind to restoring a sick body to health. This does little more than trouble or stir the human mind for a brief season, after which it returns to its former level. A more unlimited and continuous conception strives to give the patient the whole of divine mind that not only brings about the desired physical transformation, but brings a mental regeneration and spiritualization that is worth far more than a change in the physical condition and that remains long after the healing has been forgotten. Jesus' rebuke to Bethesdaism was his statement to a patient, quote, rise, take up thy bed and walk, end quote. Bethesdaism fosters expectant stagnation, inactivity, waiting for the troubling of the pool or for the healing to come. A higher demand is to encourage the patient to take up or challenge the error of stagnation and fear which has held his thought dormant and to help him to establish right activity. Then he will be encouraged to seek not only physical relief, but spiritual regeneration as well. 
Thank you. Comments on that? Well, um, Florence sent me um, or shared an article with me quite a while ago that is so appropriate with this watching point. It's called How Long by Joanne Schreiber Leadham. And it comes from a Christian Science Journal from April 1972. And there are just a few lines I'd like to read, but it, it really does address the spiritual regeneration, which is what I've been thinking about for those of us who have seemingly have long-standing circumstances that were. And it, it, it just addresses this so beautifully. She says, slow healing can at times be seen as proof of one's worthiness to be called a follower of the master. Christ Jesus said, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is the continuing that counts. To a weary one, struggling long over some problem, let this be a promise of fulfillment. But how long, how long the sufferer still cries? Only long enough to bring about the generation needed. There is no redundant drop, quote, there is no redundant drop in the cup that our Father permits us, Mrs. Eddy promises. A malady ceases to exist or seem real as soon as one has reached the point of spiritual regeneration that takes him high enough to, in thought, to shut out the false material view that brought the problem in the first place. In the degree that desire for regeneration equals the desire for physical relief, the sufferer looks deeper into his thoughts and removes the ungodlike residue. The interest in becoming Christly far outshadows the awareness of physical discord and true regeneration and healing take place. And that's really why we're all here, is um, because the main purpose of Christian science is regeneration. And this lesson is beautifully points that out, that the only father in the universe is God, which means it's a spiritual universe, not material. And anyway, that article is very good. I wanted to share that. Thank you. <laughs> We have another one called Slow Healing by Kate Buck, which is very similar. And we, you know, we speak a lot about that. The quick, quick healings don't necessarily get you very far, as this watching point states. It maybe stirs the waters up. And it can often be faith healing, not real Christian science healing. Jeremy? Well, I was thinking when it's anything other than God, you know, it talks about how it'll return to its former level. But in the responsive reading, it says, God, Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. I can think of that a lot. But when he stretches them out, they don't return. They just are stretched out. So our health, <laughs> our, our, you know, getting rid of our limitations, all that, it's, it's stretched out and remains there. So. Thank you. I think uh, Ralph Spencer's um, overwhelming evidence speaks about, you know, healing being in tune with that power and presence of God. So do we want to just be 
in tune with that only for a particular period, that's it, or is it a continual thing? And that, to me, the regeneration, the spiritualization of thought keeps us constantly in touch with God so that it's not just a just to heal this so I can feel good. Not just that. It's a continual thing. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is a way of life. And this is where, you know, I, I know I was misguided. I just thought you just called a practitioner for help occasionally when you were in big trouble and didn't realize the work and the dedication and all that it requires. Um, I have some beautiful articles again that Carrie sent that I'll be referring to in this hour with you. Um, and one, and this, this applies, uh, it goes within the Bible about um, comfort in 2 Corinthians. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And throughout this hour, too, I'll, I have words I've looked up, but th this word I never thought to look up, and it's in this uh, 1828 dictionary. It means to strengthen, to invigorate, to cheer, or enliven. Relief from pain, ease, rest, or moderate pleasure after pain. But I love that idea of to strengthen, to invigorate, to cheer, or enliven. And then this is a short little article by a Jade Parker on comfort. And it says, comfort does not mean mere pacification, lulling the creation of species of moral and spiritual atrophy. The comfort of God is the encouragement of God. The stimulus of the Most High applied to the human mind and the human heart. When God beifies Vivifies. Vivifies us, and that means to endue with life. He comforts, comforts us. Instead of putting his fingers upon our eyelids and drawing them down over tired eyes and saying, now sleep along sleep, he some, sometimes gives us such an access of life that we cannot lie one moment longer. We spring forth as men who have a battle to fight and a victory to bring home. That excess of life is the comfort of God. As well as that added sleep, that extra hour of slumber, which is a tender benediction. Why was the apostle comforted, deified, or encouraged? That he should be able to comfort them which are in trouble. Why does God give us money? To make use of it for the good of others. Why does God make a man very strong, that he may save a man who is very weak by carrying his burden for him an hour or two and now and then, so as to give the man some sense of holiday? Why does the Lord make one man very penetrating in mind, very complete in judgment, very serene and profound in counsel? Not that he may say, behold me, but that he may sit in the gate and dispense the bounty of his soul to those who need all manner of aid and all ministry of love. That is the true healing that comes 
And, and I know for myself, you know, you can be sitting comfortably in your bed or whatever and still be miserable. The real comfort, the real healing comes when you feel the spark of the divine, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It rouses you out of the bed. It rouses you to action. It rouses you to want to be God's servant. And that brings the healing. I mean, it's happened to me time and time and time again. It's the uh, alertness to duty. So we be not made to forget or neglect our duty to God, our leader, and to mankind. This is what brings the healing, the regeneration. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it doesn't. But it must come. And if it doesn't come, you truly haven't been healed. You will go back to your vomit, as the Bible says. I just have to say, this reminds me that instead of waiting for the moving water in a pool, about the movement of the spirit, the stirring of the spirit. And, you know, this lesson says so clearly that God is our father. He brought us here. So this moving of the spirit wakes us to why he brought us here, awakes us to our place and purpose and alive to fulfilling God's purpose for us. Yes. Alive to fulfilling God's purpose for us. And the Kate Buck article was was uh, was really good because she had a problem and she worked on it, she thought, and it didn't heal. And then she got to where she said, you know, I don't care if I'm never healed. All I care is that I know God better, that I'd be closer to him, that I know who and what he is. And so she strove just to get closer to God. And as she did, she found her life purpose. Oh, and incidentally, she was healed. (laughs) But but, but she, she found her life purpose. She found who she was as God's image and likeness. And that is the vision that we must all have or strive to know who we really are. And and that is the healing. Seeing what is always truly there rather than the, you know, the mesmerism of the problem. The blinds? No, the examples you gave, it all seems like it's not about us. It's for the glory of God. And um, this, anyone who has had these long healings, in, in most of the articles it tells you, it's when they reach the point of, it doesn't matter if I have this growth on me or whatever, I have found God. It's when, right then, it's when they get the healing. So that's interesting, that it's not about so much getting rid of something, which is always what I used to do, and I get rid of this. Um, it's not about that at all. It's about, you know, really, what am I doing this for? What's my motive for wanting to be healed or wanting to see myself properly for the glory of God? Hello? Yes. Hi. Um, one of the things that was just said, of all the wonderful things you've been saying, uh, is to know who we are. 
And I just thought about sharing that part where it says servants of God or anything about servants is from the old thought, you know, about servitude. But what the Bible says is that we are the children of God. And in that sense, then it talks about freedom. We are the children of God. We own freedom and everything good. And that that term of, you know, servants is, is really more of servitude. And um, it kind of, to me, speaks of opposite, the, the children of, of the king, you know, of the power uh, become servants, even if he's of God. It talks about servitude. That's what it has come to me about in prayer about that term. And uh, so I have learned to just put it as we we do the work of God. But God doesn't want servants. God doesn't want servitude or enslavement or anything like that. But that comes from the old term and the old concept of God. Um, Just sharing that that I have God in prayer. Well, well, that's yeah. a good point because we have to we have to elevate our concept of the word servant, don't we? Yeah. Amen. Because and and Mrs. Eddy's uh, synonyms for God, I think, helps in that regard. We have to be the servant of truth. We have to be the servant of life. We have to be the servant of principle. And in serving truth, that means we stand for truth wherever we are, whatever our circumstance is, and we don't tolerate error. And in the lesson, it says, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Jesus speaks often about servant. And and in this respect, and this is why definitions are important, he means humility. A servant implies humbleness. And Jesus was a servant of all mankind, right? He washed the disciples' feet. So there are different ways of looking at that word. It certainly doesn't mean, you know, that you're being bossed around by somebody. But to humbly serve isn't a bad concept either. And those who think they want to be, you know, so great and mighty perhaps need to have that dose of humility as to be a servant. Because Jesus was a servant. And he speaks often of that word. It was one of the last things he told the disciples to be servants. Yes. And I was thinking of Paul, you know, from earlier, Paul prayed three times to be relieved of the thorn in the flesh. Then he went on and did his purpose. So, and but he also called himself a prisoner of the Lord. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, they, they can't do any work for work for God or something because they have some problem. Well, that's all backwards. (laughs) And you've got to start out from the perfection, perfect God, perfect man, perfect universe. And if God calls on you to help, you don't say you can't do it because there's something wrong with you. I mean, that's admitting to the problem and turning things upside down. So uh, you do what you can every day. Be, to be your authentic self. <laughs> we saw a sweet movie the other night. Yeah. Lending a beggar, beggar Vance. <laughs> and the way to serve. Yeah, man. thank you for bringing that. 
Thank you for bringing that concept of humility. Of course, that's so important. As long as we don't take it into some enslavement because freedom is so much of God. But thank you. That's a great concept, too. And, and you are a good example of serving mankind. Ingrid. Mm-hmm. You are, you are yes, helping you are. people find themselves. Unselfishly serving God. And that is and how hum- we serve. Humbly serving God, yeah. And that's not, um, that's not anything demeaning. That's something glorious. We choose to be servants of God. Yeah, it's that's our calling. That's what we we want to do. Yes, get out of God, get out of ourselves, and into God. Are you are you trying to speak to us? Sorry. And this is this is getting self out of the way and let it and however you want to word it and words are tricky because some words mean differently to others. That's why to look it up um, is important. I wouldn't have thought of comfort. You know, you think of comfort is more like a soothing thing, but it's saying to enliven you, which is a great quickening. Way of quickening. Yes. Now, Gary's going to read a testimony that Carrie sent to us, a very beautiful one that I think is, is an example of man's extremity being God's opportunity and how many things can can unfold when you truly look to him for all things. And this is from uh, January 5th, 1907. Uh, The earthquake and conflagration in the city of San Francisco by A.P. Tonielli. The earthquake and conflagration, conflagration in this city of San Francisco has brought me such a lesson through the understanding of Christian science, that I feel I must make it public. And 1907 was when San Francisco had that horrific earthquake, as everybody may know. For over eight months, I had been trying to make a financial demonstration, but the seeming difficulty lay in the fact that I was still conscious of some reliance on material means and human wisdom. A couple of weeks before the fire, I had opened an office as public stenographer, and this office was totally destroyed by fire and dynamite. Human wisdom was then indeed baffled, and there was nothing material to turn to. It was precisely at this point that the scales fell from my eyes, and I distinctly realized the nothingness and self-destructiveness of matter, and with it all the And with it all, there came to me an all-absorbing consciousness of absolute trust in the Father. I now felt that because to sense all was lost, all was really gained through my new spiritual attitude. And it was so. Without solicitation on my part, help came to me so abundantly that I was enabled to open a new office with more machines than before. And work in my line is increasing daily, 
for this and many other demonstrations, physical and otherwise, not the least of which was the overcoming of a moral weakness to which I had been a slave for years, I am deeply indebted and truly grateful to the Father, who has so often brought me out of dark places, and to our revered leader, who has made this path practical for me and for all. Now that is an example of, the, of total regeneration. And of course, when Jesus healed, there would be that regeneration. It wasn't just the physical healing. Uh, one thing that we were taught here early on, it was one of the first things Mrs. Evans ever gave me to work with from Psalms is, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Now, concerneth, you know, what you're concerned about, worried about, whatever. And it was explained, even if you didn't know, sometimes there was problems or things bothering you or maybe things you just weren't aware of. Once you turn to God for help, and in, the, in this case it was turning to practitioner as well, um, all things were being perfected. All kinds of things were getting perfected. And I work with that to this day still. It's a powerful statement, and it is very true. I've, I've proved it, and I've seen others prove it as well. God is in all the camps, as they say. He's working in every situation. You might ask for help for your, you know, a, a hurt big toe or something. But in the meantime, he's doing all kinds of other things. And be aware of it and be grateful for it. Don't be so focused on that one healing you think you have to demonstrate. You just have to know your perfection is in God, and it is it, and it is now. So, uh, a, go ahead, Florence. That's such a good point, Mary. Um, we're so hyper focused on physical healing, and that's you know something for me that I've struggled with coming out of the culture is the hyper focus on physical healing. And that watch that was so amazing that was read just at the beginning of this service. Um, made me think of what she says about how, you know, the, it's not primarily about physical healing, but it's about demonstrating, what she said, demonstrating the divine origin and attesting, uh, she said, attesting the higher, or attesting the reality of the higher mission of the Christ power to take away the sins of the world. And just like that guy in the testimony, I mean, he talked about that, um, that kind of moral failing of his that was, that was healed. And that was probably a big thing that was at the crux of what was troubling him. And he probably didn't even know it until yes. it, you know, resolved. Yeah, thank you. Lawrence? Yes, I just want to mention that it's amazing how, to what extent we belittle the other things that are being corrected, that are being perfected in our lives. And often, if it's not what we want, then, oh, well, uh, this has been healed. Oh, this has happened. I mean, we got to give gratitude for every little thing that is changing in our lives. When we know where the, the, the correction is coming from, the power and presence of God is making all that right. So. Thank you, Florence, because it is too easy to just complacently take things for granted. Mm -hmm. And we better not. Our subject this week is, is the universe, including man, evolved by atomic force? 
And Lillian, you can read the golden text. Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Now, we all know, I mean, this one statement would be the healing of so many things, certainly the healing of the nations. It doesn't require a lot. It just requires to do it. And this, this is the truth. It's over and over in this lesson that is handling the belief of Father's Day. <laughs> and um, so, so, yes, we are all created equal. We have one Father, Mother, God. Um, it's interesting to me because if you look carefully, or maybe not so carefully, there are, we, we talk about how we're all, we're all the sons of God, sons and daughters of God, which is true. That's absolutely true. But there are many statements in the Bible, particularly Christ Jesus statements, I feel, which tells you how to become it. And, and one of it is in this week's lesson, uh, he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now that word receive, to accept, to take as due reward, to embrace, to welcome as a guest, to believe in, and then to bear with or suffer. Do you receive the Christ like that? consistently. In Florence's readings a couple of weeks ago, um, I was read, you know, it, you have to love your enemy in order to become the son of God. There are a lot of conditions to becoming the son of God. And, and uh, it, it makes the Christian scientists look very absurd when they go around just saying they're the son of God, and yet they're doing a lot of things. We're not in accord with the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments. All of this requires great dedication and love. Um, there was another, I really, a beautiful article about work in Christian science, and it refers to where, where Christ Jesus said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. It's by an LEW from an 1890 issue of the journal. We find here the early articles or the have the most clout to them. The ones were when Mrs. Eddy was around. It's ones we most frequently refer to. He writes, our nature is in reality spiritual and our home is in spirit. But growth in the understanding of Christian science means that mortal mind means what mortal mind calls work. Quote, there are no idlers in God's vineyard, end quote. And my father worketh hitherto and I work, said the divine. But judged by the so-called wisdom of his own in our day, most unscholarly man, but he proved himself to be the best scholar in the world, the world has ever known, and stands as the teacher of life, truth, and love. There are more verses in the Bible containing the word work than any one word of note. This emphasizes the deep and hidden meaning back of the word 
work affected direct uh, effort directed to an end. That's what a court definition of it is one of the many definitions. We must be willing to work for eternal life as we have never worked before. We are in belief of material origin and and I'll shall have to work harder than did Jesus, the offspring of purity, who knew no sin. He passed through Gethsemane, the human yielded to the divine. We shall have to do likewise. He overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil, the same as required of us. They who covet health, the atonement, the understanding of principle, will count the cost and be willing to pay the price demanded. Consider the time and efforts expended in acquiring education in what the world calls knowledge. The hard study and close confinement that often defeat the hopes that have inspired them. Most of this knowledge has to be unlearned in order to gain the true understanding. All knowledge gained through belief of matter must be destroyed to make room for intelligence, understanding of the Christ truth. Again, there are no idlers in God's vineyard. My father worketh hitherto than I work. So this is a big point because uh, sometimes people seem to shirk at the word work. And um, Jeremy, what what are you what is your daughter being taught? Oh yeah, there's a lot out there right now teaching kids that work is is just somebody else trying to control them, basically. And that it's it's not worth doing, and the government will take care of you. This is extremely serious. This this gets at our individuality, and and Mrs. Eddy says where man was not made to till the soil, which is you know maybe this this laborious tilling of the soil work, but work is man's native. Occupation, right? Well, Mary Baker, Eddie also says the song of Christian Science is work, pray. So, <laughs> thank you very much. Well, exactly. Man was not made to sleep either. You know, twenty-four hours a day. No. People, people are happiest when they are working, when they are doing, when they are doing what the talents that God has given them to do. There's no greater joy. This is Eddie, you know, calls it the bliss of loving unselfishly. That 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 involves work. This, if I could just say, this is one thing I've learned from the Plainfield Church. As you know, <laughs> Christian science involves character reformation. And I must say that one of the things that I've learned is to love to do the work for God, to love it. Because I got to honestly say, before I found Plainfield, the whole idea of working, the whole idea of image of drudgery came to my mind. And that had to be replaced, removed and replaced. So I'll just throw that out there. Well, thank you. No, that's an important point because people think it isn't fun, but actually the right kind of work is fun. Don't watch me work. (laughs) (laughs) You can hear hear this laughter all, all over. Everyone enjoys their work. We love our work. It's so purposeful. Yeah, I mean, there's an old, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a funny saying, you know, get a job that you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, but 
I tell you though, um, even in nursing, I, I think I wrote about this because it impressed me so. It got to a point where even a workers, you know, I would call it quote unquote noble as in nursing, even that at some point it, it got so much for me. But then I started to learn what work really is, is using my talents to bless, to, to glorify God. And when I ch- that change of thought came, I was happy going to work again. It's ama- it, it amazes me. I'm so impressed and so grateful for it. And how many years ago? Thank you. Well, that thank is you. Beautiful. And, and knowing too, your employer is always God. When you when you're up against some maybe a mean taskmaster, you have to look beyond that and know you're working for God. As did Joseph. As did da- Daniel. As did. All of the prophets, didn't they? The early prophets, they worked for God. They didn't. Otherwise, you're, you're excuse the word, screwed. <laughs> you are because you just, you know, you're up against oh, working for this horrible person and rah, rah, rah. And it's miserable. So you, you always work for God. That's why you do the best you can. That's why you're loving. You're honest. All the qualities of God. And when it's right, he will promote you. And he will attract to you the work that you can do best. And many of you have certainly demonstrated that. Yeah, and seeing that and personally, you're not trying to please person. Uh, within the first year of my being at the church, I realized that moving all the equipment, the broadcast equipment upstairs, I was so worried about pleasing the board and you know, pleasing my practitioner. And I was, I was getting behind, and then I realized that, and everything, it all cleared away, and it was taken care of in quick succession, so that, that's... When you work for God. Work for God. Just yeah. cut, out, cut out the personality, the personal sense, and work for God. Look above the heads and see the Father's face. That's, that's what Florence was describing, and it never fails. It's a great blessing. And that should be the basis of every business that exists, right? Uh, yeah. a, a, a business that serves mankind, produces goods yeah. and services that people need for a fair price. It truly adds value. Truly adds value. That's a true business. It's God's business. And when we see business that way, we can be part of that business because each one of us has a talent that can be used to help others. Sometimes I get asked, you know, why there aren't more independent Christian science churches? I've asked myself that question as well. One of the main question, answers is it takes a lot of work. I mean, this doesn't happen. You think this is some easy thing. It's like anything that's like an ice skater. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it looks so effortless. So it, it, it requires people who want to do this work. It's easy to talk it. It's easy to come up with ideas and what what everyone should be doing. Thank you very much. <laughs> to that, I say, you do it, my friend. You do it. So uh, it, it demonstrate. Demonstrate, and this is how people grow, not by just the talk, but by the do. The and, inner and outer work, I think. I'm thinking of the inner and outer watches that Parson talked about, but we got the inner and outer work too. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's it. And it's joyous work and we love to do it. And 
it's thrilling when I find people who come who really do want to work and not just talk about it, but do it. But everyone's different and, you know, everyone has their place and some people aren't ready for it. And I understand that entirely. But that doesn't mean I'm not very grateful for those who <laughs> come and, and pitch in, which many of you do. Now, you, go ahead. You know, speaking of work, uh, we can see why there's so much corruption out there because we are not working for God. But um, it's just so obvious. I mean, when you see it, that when we see it that way, right? Um, I wanted to share this uh, amazing quote that has blessed me so much and blessed me every day uh, about uh, the work ahead of me is never as great as the power behind me. Oh, and, uh, that, that is I just wanted to uh, share that related to work. Yes. It's beautiful. Did you write that down? <laughs> yeah, that's a, write that down. It's lovely. Thank you, Ingrid. Could you repeat it again, please? The work ahead of me is never as great as the power behind me, the power of God. Yeah, thank you. What a blessing. I just have to share it because it's such a big blessing. Thank you. Where is that from, Ingrid? You know the author? Will no, I, I, you know I kind of ran with that one for so many decades. I, I, I lost it. No, I don't know. I'm sorry, but maybe online they can find it. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, one thing very important I, I've given this out often in this lesson is in science, man is the offspring of spirit, and the beautiful, good, and pure kind his ancestry. So you. Right? Apply that to yourself. In science, I am the offspring of spirit. The beautiful, good, and pure constitute my ancestry. This is so important. This is what this whole lesson is about. This is your ancestry. You. And anyone who thinks, you know, I mean, some people have good human ancestry. Some people, not so much. The point is, uh-uh, just keep it in God. How can you do any better to beautiful, good, and pure? The definition of beautiful, elegant in form, having the qualities that constitute beauty, an assemblage of graces, due proportion of symmetry, and then beauty of utility. I mean, things are beautiful because of their usefulness. And then beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It is something of spirit always. And on pages 244 to 248, Mrs. Eddy discusses that. And everyone should know those pages on beauty, age, and mortality. And then good, the definition, valid, sound, not weak, complete or sufficiently perfect, having moral qualities which God's law requires, uncorrupted, undamaged, wholesome, and pure, free from mixture, without spot, free from guilt, Innocent, free from anything improper. Now, this is what God, this is what we are. And if we have law, we can reclaim it by renewing our mind and, and becoming what God made us. And know this, this other belief about us is a lie. 
You're to be your authentic self. <laughs> authentic. No one else can do it. And God is there, as we talked about earlier, the concept of servant, yes, getting yourself out of the way to show you what he would have you do to fulfill his good purpose. And then we have to see that everyone around us, that that is the truth about them. And Jesus brought that out in people. And his seeing that healed hundreds, thousands, who knows how many. But we will bring that out in everyone around us if we insist that that is the truth about them. And this, this is, again, the lesson about seeing all mankind. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is being your brother's keeper, which was another beautiful article Carrie sent. I am his keeper in this, and I must keep my own thought concerning him free from material mixtures, free from beliefs of limitation and error in regard to his condition in every way, free from all elements of bitterness, of envy, of pride, of hate. I ha am his keeper also in that I am called to exhibit loving kindness toward him, playing the part of the good Samaritan with respect to his sense of need, while endeavoring through spiritual ministry to replace this sense with a true understanding of life and its possibilities of freedom. In doing this, I must ever keep in remembrance the unity of mind, the unity of spirit, the oneness of purpose of interest, which is the basis of brotherhood and which binds all God's children together in strong and indestructible bands, bonds of fellowship in truth and love. From a 1905 journal, Am I My Brother's Keeper? Yes. So thank you. That's, that is our doing. We see it for ourselves. We see it for everyone. This is obeying the Sermon in the Mount. This is becoming a child of God, truly the child of God, not just in word, but in deed. And that is how we love. Now, another something important I found in, in Science and Health, it's all very important, of course, and I could go on for hours, but this is number five. The foundation of mortal discord is a false sense of man's origin. To begin rightly is to end rightly. Every concept which seems to begin with the brain begins falsely. Divine mind is the only cause or principle of existence. Cause does not exist in matter, in mortal mind, or in physical forms. This is so important, especially today, with um, artificial intelligence, all these mental problems um, people seem to have. We have to get back to basics. If you believe in brain, you're going to have a lot of problems. This is why we keep our thought pure about it. What does it mean in Hosea 8? They saw the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. Mary, please, uh, what page is that? Maybe we can give it to all. What page is that in Science and Health? Page 262. 262 is on. Um, Line 27. Yeah, it's on. Citation 5 from the lesson. Thank you. 
So when you sow the wind, see the wind. Sow. sow the wind. You sow the wind. You reap the whirlwind. What did you say, Linda? Well, you reap what you sow. You get what you see and what you think. Yes. Every decision has consequences. A person's action will come back to them. To suffer now because of the mistakes of the past. This is a belief of what's going on right now in our nation, in our world. We're reaping the whirlwind. And some of it is this idea that, yes, we start with a brain, isn't it? And look at what a mess that makes. It's made a huge mess and it's continuing on its way to make a mess. To begin wrongly is to end wrongly. It, it is. <laughs> so the road and yell stop, stop. <laughs> and that's what we have to do stand in the middle of the, stop this whirlwind uh, of beginning wrongly and then coming up to all these wrong conclusions or even to think we could suffer for past mistakes I, I feel like every as I've talked about every generation has a new chance to get it right this is our chance not a chance I, I don't like opportunity. that word opportunity opportunity yes <laughs> Yes. So we stand in that road and we stop that whirlwind and we say, no, 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 no. We don't start with brain. We start with mind. God is mind. God is my mind. God is the only pure and perfect mind. And we put a kibosh on all of these false beliefs. I mean, there are many other of these things, the whirlwind, the idea that we turn to medication for our healing. Look where that's going. I love the line above it. It says in Science and Health, no mortal mind has the right, might or right or wisdom to create or to destroy. All is under the control of the one mind, even God. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And that takes care of the vaccination. Yeah. And all, all of that other stuff, all this drugs, we defang it. We have to defang it and know it's utter powerlessness because it's not of God. Also, in, in Science and Health, is that quote, um, let's see, it's in my book. They've just announced on the news that uh, they are making vaccines for little babies. <laughs> I know that. They do, yeah. e- even though it's been proven that they're not very contagious <laughs> to this belief in the first place. Thank you, Fairly. So in, on 151 in Science and Health, Mrs. Eddy says the human mind has no power to kill or to cure, and it has no control over God's man. We're standing in the road. Stop! <laughs> Stopping this whirlwind. And we can't do it because uh, that quote that Ingrid gave. Mm. The work ahead of me is never as great as the power behind me, the Thank power you. of God. Thank you. That's it. It's all illusion. They're all acting out their illusionary visions. <laughs> and we, ha- we have the right to stop it and to restore health and harmony and joy and peace, brotherhood of all mankind. I mean, all, the, all of this talk. Uh, the, the race talk, too. Stop. Stand in the whirlwind. Stop. Yes. No. Who said that? God never said it. So why are we believing it and, and are li- acting it out? 
If God didn't say it, it is not being said. And so the question, is the universe, including man, evolved by atomic force? No. <laughs> no. 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 But we would read wind. Go ahead. I saw this school boy up in his ranch carry. He was diagnosed with cancer. He was like 17 years old. He went to a Sunday school lesson, first time science and health. This was this lesson. And one of the kids said, no, he slammed his hand and he was healed. That was a reg caring. Thank you. He had, he had, he gave some tremendous healings in our church. Reg Carey did. He had some tremendous practitioners and teachers. He was taught the true science. And this is what must be done now. It's an apprenticeship. You learn it the right way. You learn to do it yourself. And you do it with grace and humility. And, and God will send you people that you can help. And he will every day if you look for it. Won't leave you without work. He will not leave you without that work, yes. And it says, have we not one father? Well, we all have one father, God. So we all have the same rules, laws, opportunities. Yes. And nobody's different and everything would be perfect if we followed it. <laughs> no reason to covet or be jealous. Yeah. Work in your own vineyard. You'll see wonderful flowers blooming. Be your authentic self. It's 53. Right? Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. I was expecting the bonging. <laughs> bong, bong, yes. Now, th this is just some beautiful thing uh, that Carrie sent us. We're going to end on today. The beautiful interview of singer Jenny Lind, who I, well, we researched a little bit. I don't think she was a Christian scientist, but she certainly was Christian and believed God, as you can tell from this. And the idea of Psalm 95, which I think is in the lesson as well, praising God, the importance and the power of just praising and thanking the Father. And this uh, is from an article in the Canadian Baptist, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, in 1925. Jenny Lind, when asked the secret of her marvelous power as a singer, said, I sing to God. She forgot the people and looked into God's face and sang. Every singer should sing to God. Every Christian should certainly sing to God. That is what this psalm teaches, quote, O come, let us sing unto the Lord, end quote. Our lives should be full of worship. It is not enough to be joyous. We must put our joy into praise to God. Even if we are in sorrow, we should praise. In the ancient worship, incense was the emblem of prayer. Prayer is fragrance. An old rabbinical legend represents an angel standing at the gate of heaven to receive earth's prayers and praisings as they arose. And as he caught them, they turned to roses in his hands. Earth's worship is fragrance in heaven. We should never cease to worship God Quote, the Lord is a great God and a great King. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. End quote. And that is what we shall do. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.